Hello, everybody. We're here to delve further into, you know, coaching and, you know, how how you get into coaching. What's what is coaching? How do I improve as a player with former XL2 and, uh, you know, pretty extensively veteranized coach Iosex? How you doing? I'm doing very, very, very well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, no worries. So. I did want to kind of get, you know, let's start at the beginning, right? Let's start at, you know, your your history and what I would assume you're probably most known for is coaching, you know, players that who are just looking to improve. So I wanted to kind of get your take on some of the things that people um, seem to to really have a, a thirst for and, and something that you seem to be repeating yourself on. You know, what are what are some of those big topics that seem to be always reoccurring? with uh with these players well the majority of questions that i get are just people trying to come up with new stuff that's holding them back that mm. doesn't actually involve you know putting in any effort sort of people are complaining about you know can you tell me if my mouse is holding me back should i get a 140 hertz monitor <laughs> possible to climb at 60 fps you know is my sensitivity optimal and a lot of that stuff and mm. it's very boring because the answer is always the same you know, no, none of those things are really, you know, the main reason that you're struggling and you need to look for, you know, other things, more important things, your understanding of the game, mostly. Um, so I would say that's the main thing that I have to deal with. Um, but I've gotten better at quickly dealing with those cases and just kind of telling them, you know, come back to me when you actually have a good question to ask. <laughs> and uh, overall, I think that has improved my quality of life quite significantly because for one, the overall amount of questions and clients that I get has decreased mm. since I've put less effort into answering low effort questions. And that allows me to put more time into the good question, give, gotcha. you know, really nice in-depth answers and kind of, you know, grow as a coach as well, because you don't really learn a whole lot as a coach. If, if all you do every single day is just help people, you know, that their mouse pad isn't really that, isn't really a bottleneck. It, it that is kind of surprising now that you mention it that that comes up as often as it does because it does seem pretty popular within the streaming community and even in the Overwatch League you know they have the you know the peripheral setups and like oh this is how you play like sure for or oh this is mm -hmm. this is the settings and stuff so it, it does it seem like there's kind of a uh, a shortcut kind of uh, vibe there with a lot of this stuff where they think that like if I play yeah. if I play like Flower then you know. Maybe, maybe I can get pro or whatever. I mean, it's obviously hard to explain because you need to understand the game. Mm. Kind of, most players just don't know the game at all. Like, they don't know anything about it. Um, and if you don't know all of those things, the only thing that everyone understands is, you know, put your crosshair on the targets. Right. And then they think about, you know, that's the only thing that I understand. How can I get more efficient? doing that and obviously before i put any actual effort into practice and just playing the game i need to make sure that my setup is is optimal um and yeah as i said it's 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 very boring and i think that a lot of youtubers and even you know overwatch itself is very kind of smart mm -hmm. in that they abuse the fact that a lot of people look for that and i think that's why they put so much emphasis on uh emphasis on that and even when you look at pro players coaching um recently soon started kind of advertising his own coaching a little bit mm. um even he mentioned right at the start, you know, the stuff that we're going over, you know, how can you make your setup the way that Overwatch League players have it set up and all of that stuff. And I'm pretty sure that Sue knows that, you know, if you're in silver, it doesn't really matter mm. what angle your keyboard is at, but people are going to suck it up and they're, you know, they're going to end up paying. For it. And that's, I think, just the unfortunate reality. Um, but really, the only players that do actually get better are the players that realize that. You know, there are no shortcuts. It doesn't really matter if you have a, you know, a $30 mouse or a $150 mouse. Uh, it just comes down to practice and, you know, thinking about the game and getting smarter over time. That makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, I've, I've, I've like to say that I've watched a, a fair deal of esports over my, my, uh, my time here. Um, obviously Overwatch being, you know, my, my big game at the moment, but, um, you know, looking, looking to improve myself and looking at some of the, the coaching uh, sites back in the day for like League of Legends and even StarCraft, you know, was there anybody that you kind of um, saw and was like, oh, I could probably do that with this game or that game. Was there anybody that really kind of inspired you in that sense? 
uh, that was actually another another lot of people know about that. Um, he's called LS. Mm. I think that stands for Lost Shadow. Lost Shadow. Last like Shadow. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, uh, most people just know him under LS. Um, and he was kind of mysterious to me. Like I never really knew like what he was doing, how the coaching thing worked. And it wasn't really super professional either. Um, but you know, I kind of wanted to be like him when Overwatch came out. I kind of wanted to be the LS of overwatch mm. so to say uh and i do proudly say that you know yes i have become the ls of uh, overwatch you know i don't offer you know coaching in korea for four thousand dollars yet um and probably never will but you know other than that i think that i've kind of you know established myself in terms of private coaching at least as kind of the you know it's pricey but it, it's you know it's it's kind of like red cameras, those super expensive cameras. Mm, it's mm-hmm. you know, they cost twenty eight thousand dollars, but you know that if you get one, you know that's like the best stuff that you exactly. And you know, some camera enthusiast out there is gonna tell me that you know <laughs> red cameras are trash, but you know, just just follow along with the analogy. No, it's exactly who I kind of uh, had in mind when you know I, I first started talking to you and we did that interview. You know, you it came across or the coaching came across in that similar vein where it was like, all right, guys, there, there is no shortcuts here. You just have to put in the work. You just have to, you know, really study and and really grind in that kind of tough love atmosphere. So that was, that was someone who I definitely kind of tied with your kind of brand of, of coaching. Um, and I thought that was really, really interesting. And I, I, I had a, I had a, I had a hint that, uh, maybe you had, a. had seen LS before, but I wanted, yeah. to, wanted to just wanted to clarify. So that's really cool though, because I, I like LS and he's uh, he's very very intelligent. So um, coming from that, coming from you know the the personal coaching atmosphere, you've climbed the ranks through open division. Was that kind of a similar thing where you felt like you had to reiterate yourself a lot, or was that a little bit better? Were you starting to find that was way way easier? Um, okay. To be honest, it's. Okay, so I was surprised by how many people in, you know, tier three still were focusing a lot of sensi- uh, on sensitivity mm. and peripherals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I expected that to be the point where that doesn't really matter. Um, but there were, you know, obviously all of them were DPS players. Um, you know, <laughs> tank and support players, they were kind of past that phase and they realized that it doesn't really matter. Um, but there were some DPS players that were still a little bit too focused on that. Um, but the majority of them, you know, it, it was a lot easier to work with because they kind of realized that it really doesn't matter what sense they use and, you know, what kind of mouse they use, as long as it's not super unusable. Mm. If your mouse just, you know, stops working every three seconds for a second, then, you know, you might want to replace that. But, you know, anything past that they can, can work with. So, yeah, transitioning to teams, mm, I just realized that was the next logical step because after a while... You know, a lot of people always think that, you know, I'm kind of living the dream because at this point I'm charging like quite a significant amount for coaching. I'm in the uh, uh, $175 an hour range now. Mm. And you know, a lot of people think that's great. You know, you just shout at someone for an hour and you get, you know, money. But after a while, it doesn't really matter how much you make. It just gets, you know, it, it's just not as fulfilling mm. and you don't really feel like you're going anywhere. Like, that's not something you want to do until you, you know, grow old and retire. Um, and so I figured, you know, I could do that. But on, on, at the same time, I could also focus on coaching teams mm. because that would kind of push the limits and you would be forced to kind of learn a lot. And I don't regret that at all. I think that since I started coaching teams, I know so many more things. And that's also one of the reasons why I feel comfortable charging, you know, these amounts for my own private coaching because I I know how much I've learned over the last year, and I and I value my like all of the the time that I've spent collecting all of this experience very very highly. So um, yeah, I think they go kind of hand in hand. Definitely, the the team coaching more to kind of develop as a coach and learn new things, and the private coaching to you know spread that knowledge mm-hmm. with with everyone who wants to and who can afford it, um, and also just to you know have some financial stability especially during current times where, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit rougher staying afloat in the company. No, oh, it makes a, a complete and an utter sense, especially when you look at, you know, how 
you know what you're worth and what you can charge what you feel comfortable with charging that that that, that really makes a lot of sense um because you like you said i can't imagine that you know if you find it pretty difficult or i would imagine right you'd find it difficult going from being a player coach um specifically an individual level like working on you know those set of skills and then going into a team and that's a whole it feels like from the outside obviously um, that's, a, that's mm-hmm. a whole nother skill set on, on yeah. teaching and kind of learning how to work with individuals that you could take from your past experience and, and apply it to the team atmosphere. But that's uh, a whole nother bag of worms. But in that same vein, we we jump into the last season of Contenders, Contenders Season 2 for North America, where you were signed with XL2. Uh, first, I want to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, how did that come about? How... Um, how did they reach out? Did you reach out? How did that kind of interaction, if you could uh, talk about that a little bit? It's actually a very interesting story. I'm going to keep it short. Um, yeah. I uh, Someone ordered a coaching session. Um, he wasn't super high rated, but he also wasn't super. He was like, okay, <laughs> it's always tough saying he wasn't super high rated and then saying that he was like 4.1K right? Um, because it's all relative. He was, he was, you know, a grandmaster player. But he wasn't anywhere close to being a professional. Mm. Um, and I did my session with him, just kind of the normal normal stuff I would normally do. And he knew Kitta, who was the coach for XL2 in season one. Mm-hmm. And so he recorded the session and he sent it to Kitta and she looked at it and she liked it. And then I was added to the trials that were going on. So I wasn't actually, you know, initially invited to the trials. Okay. Um, they didn't have an eye on me. It wasn't until, you know, her friend that I coached sent the recording for her. Um, and then during those tryouts, I ended up being, you know, the best choice for what I did. I was training as head coach mm. um, and and they liked me a lot. So they decided to bring me on. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't quite get the head coach position in the end. Um, me and Kita were both co-coaches. Mm-hmm. But uh, d- despite that, it was still... I think that's like the general idea of how I ended up on Excel too. Hmm. That's really cool. Well, have there now from your own personal kind of coaching service, um, have there been any other kind of strange doors that you could have pursued that you can talk about? Is there any, uh, other... quite, a, quite a lot actually. Interesting. So okay. you have, so you have for, on one end, you have some people that just kind of want to have, make their own coaching services. Hmm. Um, and they kind of, you know, they book an hour just to talk about you know, business stuff, uh, pretty much. And, you know, I've turned all of them down because I don't really like, you know, working for random, you know, for, for those sites sure. um, where there are just a bunch of coaches. I just prefer having my own brand and everything. Um, <clears throat> then there are also people from, you know, apps uh, back then, Oversumo, which was a stat tracking app. Mm. Um, one interesting person that not a lot of people actually know about um james also known as kahoodle he is the uh i think he's the ceo behind pursuit Mm -hmm. which is the software that has recently been banned Mm -hmm. and he is actually one of my i guess biggest clients because what he would do is he just booked a bunch of sessions like four or five and you know instead of having me go over a vod he would use that to ask me questions about Uh... the game pertaining to pursuit Right. So he told me about the idea of pursuit. You know, this was all a long while ago. And, you know, I would just tell him, yeah, you know, these statistics are important. This is what you need to keep an eye out for um, and all of that stuff. So that's very interesting. So I I was kind of with pursuit very, very early. Um, There's currently some stuff going on with uh, certain companies from uh, Zurich as well. Another thing, this is currently ongoing, so I can't talk too much about it. Sure. But a year ago, um, some people from, I think, the University of New York, I'm not sure, they also came in um, and they asked me a couple of questions. So, and, and that turned into something that's not yet released, so I can't talk about it, but they're using the stuff that I talked about to develop something at the hmm. science and university. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is actually surprising how many... I guess, you know, non-coaching sessions, you know, you actually get. It's very, it's interesting. 
So the, there's a lot of pins I want to put into this. So so we'll we'll kind of take XL two. We'll, we'll put it in a box. We'll come back to that. Don't mm-hmm. worry. We'll we'll definitely highlight. That. Okay. But you definitely brought up uh, a talking point that I wanted to touch on was the kind of ban of of pursuit and, and visor. Um, you 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 were kind of outspoken on visor and being like you know on, on Twitter you, you I think you took a recording I believe it was Jane. And mm-hmm. um, the game basically, or the, the program basically told him that uh, Barrage was coming online in about 10 seconds. And I think the caption that you had put was like, you know, how is this not cheating? Um, mm-hmm. Could you go a little bit more in depth in that thought? Could you expand on that? You know, is this something that we should have in the scene? Is Pursuit, you know, not equivalent to Visor, you know, in, in how how it was handled by Blizzard? And, and is that something that could be useful to coaches, players, analysts, stuff like that? content creators okay so um i'll first quickly go into pers- uh, into visor sure. actually um so i do like another product from them called mayhem it's a website where you can review vods maybe some players know about it um and i like that a lot and i've talked to um the zouster a lot he's the guy behind it um so i like that a lot but with visor um when i made that tweet there are two things that can happen when you try to make a program like that. Okay. Either it's going to be not good at all, it's just not going to be accurate, at which point, why would you want to use it? Um, or it is going to become accurate, at which point, why wouldn't you want to use it, right? The problem is that either it's a it's a waste of you know disk space or it becomes mandatory. There's no real middle ground, um, considering the feature set that they had back then. And that was the main thing that I was disagreeing with. It wasn't that I don't think that Visor at that point in time actually gave you an an advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't developed enough. It was very very you know early early stages. It it just came out. Um, what I was really scared of is what is going to become of Visor. What happens if mm-hmm. they you know because I trust in the development team like they're they're good developers and I was worried what they could turn that into if they if they aren't being careful and if they don't consider the consequences. So I do agree with Blizzard kind of just taking a stance and saying, okay, you know, we're kind of scared of this. We don't really want this to end up like, you know, because they've had, you know, another game, they've had World of Warcraft and in in WoW, um, you know, certain add-ons, you know, that people could install, you know, certain enhancements uh, kind of changed the course of the game very, very dramatically. One specific add-on called Gear Score. I don't want to go too much into what it is, (laughs) but it ended up becoming so mandatory that Blizzard eventually said, we kind of have to put this in the game now, yeah. you know, because people aren't, are, this is like a part of uh, culture now, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a Dota Plus or something, I, I don't know what it's called, that does very similar things with the enhanced, you know, stat analysis, uh, which is direct, uh, directly from Valve, um, which I'm kind of critical of. So yeah, banning Visor, I can see where they're coming from. Okay. Um, regarding Pursuit, though, I think banning Pursuit, that was just kind of, a, I guess, collateral damage. Um, I don't think Blizzard thinks that Pursuit is super, super problematic. Um, you know, set tracking stuff like that has always existed. I think they're, again, just kind of scared of the technology behind it. Um, you know, analyzing the screen in real time. And I can understand those concerns. Again, they're, you know, some stuff that we might not think is that problematic. They need to you know, you know, amplify that by 10 because one small mistake can have a lot of consequences. So again, I can understand why they disabled Pursuit. I personally don't, you know, um, agree with it, but that's just because I don't hold full picture. Okay, Blizzard is a huge company. They have a lot of research right. and they have a lot of concerns. I can understand, you know, they have the reason. Um, that said, I do hope that um, this ends up similar to how the uh, classic servers for a while end up where you know, someone in the community decides to put them up, Blizzard shuts them down, only to then, you know, a bit of time later announce, hey, by the way, the thing that we shut down, you know, we're going to make that ourselves. So my hope is that by shutting down Pursuit, eventually a couple of months down the line, maybe in 2019, they're going to say, you know, everything that Pursuit did, all of those enhanced statistics and match history, that's something that we're going to be adding to our game now. Mm-hmm. And if that turns out to be the case, which, which I personally think, I think that's extremely likely, especially now, you know, with Overwatch League really lamp, uh, ramping up, I feel like stats are going to come. You know, it's it's not a matter of if; it's really just a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my interpretation of the entire situation. I think visor ban is justified, and pursuit they might have disabled. Um, 
because they have something in the works on their own side. Okay. Now, I do, I do want to kind of pick your brain on, well, not, not, not go super in-depth with stats, but I do want to talk to you about mm -hmm. stats. But first, I'm going to go off script here for a second. I do... Uh, I've, I've seen a reoccurring theme in, in the public uh, domain on your Twitter and, and now a couple times just by talking to you. Um, you seem pretty jazzed about WoW Classic. Is that something you're I really, am really very jazzed. Using? Okay. I Is... actually don't care about Classic, to be honest. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, the wall behind me kind of gives it away. Yes, a little bit. I'm, I'm very much into the game. Um, I'm actually interested in, in, in the Burning Crusade. Most. Mm. It's kind of... Uh, I'm very young. I'm only twenty, so classic is kind of a little bit. You know, I wasn't really old enough to to play it back then. Um, but Burning Crusade, when I was a young child, that was something that I played with my brother. So it's very, you know, there's a lot of you know sentimental value. Um, and I do admit that I may or may not have you know played Burning Crusade, you know, after the fact on um, you know using means that might not have been condoned by Blizzard. You kind of know where I'm getting at yes. um, because I love the game a lot. And sure. so the reason I'm excited about Classic is because if Classic turns out to be a success, I think it's inevitable that, you know, the Burning Crusade will eventually follow. Um, so that's why I'm super excited for it. Um, and I think it also, uh, it makes me very optimistic about Blizzard because Classic servers have always been something that, you know, Blizzard fans have, you know, they've always just, you know, talked about it as something that's guaranteed to just never. Mm. You know, people were joking about it at that point because, uh, you know, if they haven't brought it back yet, why would they? Mm -hmm. um, so them bringing it out, I think that says a lot about their company as a whole and that they do actually care a lot about what the community wants and that they do care about... Um, you know that they not just you know they can get over you know pride which a lot of companies you know mm. can't really, because you know releasing classic if they thought that there was a huge market for it and everything they would have done that a while ago right so you know them doing it now because of the petition and everything you know they're doing it for the community mostly and maybe i'm naive you know maybe that's a very you know basic perspective um but this might also go over into into overwatch because a lot of the des des design decisions in Overwatch, um, Blizzard seems to be very firm on. Like they're, you know, with the with the way that stats and everything work, you know, that's just fundamental game design that they've decided on a while back when they were developing Overwatch. Mm -hmm. But if Blizzard, you know, Blizzard, uh, at least the WoW team has decided that, you know, they're going to kind of go back on their statement and say, okay, you know, that was, you know, what we thought in the past, but now we're going to change our opinion. Um, we are going to this maybe that also means that they're going to change things about overwatch right um and that they're not just you know setting down this path that they are willing to kind of take a left turn maybe retrace a couple steps you know change change an older decision um yeah i think it it kind of gives me you know a lot of faith in in blizzard in both you know the the wow team as well as the as the overwatch team i think that's you know very it's it's very surprising to see something like that and i don't know a lot of companies that would you know, do something. I would never see EA, for example, you know, <laughs> re-release Battlefield, you know, 1942 or whatever. Sure. It's just because, you know, even though a lot of people, you know, want it. No, it makes... It, I, I definitely have to agree with you there. Um, now, branching from that point, um, and I won't try to make this a, a, a wow show, but... Um, yeah, yeah. When it comes to... When it comes to that concept of kind of retracing your steps and going, you know, backwards to go forwards, uh, has there ever really been a change in Overwatch that you wish maybe we could go back and, and, and you know, reevaluate and maybe look at again? Is there anything that you that kind of jumps out at you like that? I think one thing in specific would be the in-game uh, competitive modes okay. as of right now. Um, because Blizzard hasn't... I honestly can't remember the last time, and this isn't on business. This is just on me. I haven't really been dealing a lot with competitive. Sure. Um, you know, I I can't really remember the last time that there was a really huge change around competitive. Um, and you know, Jeff Kaplan has said that he doesn't really want to add any new rewards or incentives to competitive, and that competitive play itself should be the incentive. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, changes around placements and all of that stuff. You know. They haven't really changed anything around competitive, even though a lot of, you know, people in the community are very vocal about it. 
Um, and obviously, I understand their decision. You know, they're busy. They're very busy, in fact, um, with a lot of different things, especially sure. the second season of Overwatch League starting soon that probably takes up a lot of resources. But that's one of the main things that I'm looking forward to, that they're going to say, OK, um, you know, there are some problems right now with their competitive mode. Um, and not, you know, they can't fix all of them because in the end, you know, uh, an online community is going to be an online community. Mm-hmm. There, there are always going to be some, some, you know, foul eggs. Um, but I hope that they're going to back on it and kind of revisit their design of competitive and just try to find some ways how they can make it more engaging. And um, I guess kind of to go back to to, to WoW Classic, uh, one of the main things um, that was so interesting about WoW Classic wasn't actually the content itself. It was, no offense, it was kind of boring looking back on it. Yeah. Um, but what uh, did make that game very special was it incentivized um, socializing mm-hmm. at every single corner. Everything, it was pretty much impossible to get anything done in that game. Even reaching max level without talking to someone else is, is almost <laughs> impossible. It is very difficult. Um, and I, I kind of want to see that same idea come into Overwatch as well. And I think with them introducing the LFG tool, um, I think that's a big step in that direction. I want Overwatch to have more tools to incentivize socializing and grouping and to incentivize large communities, especially competitive community forms. So, you know, a clan system. Um, coordinated 6v6, uh, you know, a separate competitive queue for teams mm-hmm. against teams. That's the kind of stuff that I'm mainly looking for because right now, um, you know, since, especially since grouping kind of screws with the matchmaker a little bit, mm-hmm. um, in, in lower ratings, grouping up is usually detrimental most of the time. Um, and, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's not what I want. I want it to be the opposite. I want right. people to, you know, they can play on their own if they want to. But I want the game to kind of, you know, tell them like, hey, you can play on your own, but look at all of this awesome stuff that you can do if you Mm -hmm. kind of get out of your shell and you start talking. Because especially early on in Overwatch, that's kind of how stuff worked. Nobody really knew the game. So people were talking a lot and they were sharing knowledge and they were developing, you know, the scene and, you know, Slasher was building his little, little Discord back then, BOW, and it was like very tight knit. Um, But now that the game is, you know, figured out and the Overwatch League exists, um, and a lot of more more players are there. I feel like it's become a little, you know, disconnected in, in parts, um, and that's why I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that Blizzard can, you know, move forward and kind of um, work on those things specifically. Okay. Last thing on WoW, I, I you know, I'm a mm-hmm. a pretty long time player, and I'd like mm-hmm. to I'd like to think I could peg people on exactly what what class did they play, you know, what what were their interests in, in other games, um, and I'm getting I'm getting a very mage vibe from you, Iostax. Jesus like Christ! <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, right. okay. We'll leave that. We'll leave that there. We'll leave uh-huh. that there. Now, talking back about Visor and Pursuit, right? Um, what are some of the statistics that you'd wish were added to? To, to overwatch is there anything that you as a coach really would love to know whether it be you know the amount of you know, who who you prioritize with diva matrix you know how often are you finding headshots with micro missiles you know what what are some of those really niche things that you you'd love to pull out of an api that you wish that blizzard would implement in the future um First of all, micro missiles can't headshot. Hey, man, AOE rockets. Just saying. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> on top of that, I don't even want, or I don't even need those specific stats because you know, what kind of damage gets defense matrix? That can be like very difficult to integrate. Sure. Actually, maybe not. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not a developer. Um, <laughs> I quit college, obviously. Um, but even just basic stuff. So just having a match history of you know which maps did we win mm-hmm. what compositions did we play on those maps and when did we make certain swaps that alone would save so much time like i've been going through a bunch of teams and they all have their own little you know google sheets um of all of the matches that they play and sure. tracking compositions and you know a lot of teams even have dedicated analysts at that point you know one person that i know and that you know a lot of people potentially know is is danny who's mm-hmm. been signed with um atlanta and you know, that's pretty much his job. He's the data analyst. He's he's the one collecting all of the data by going over the VODs. 
And, you know, on one hand, it's great that he's given, you know, this job opportunity. Um, but then again, if you think about it, the only reason that this job even exists is because the game doesn't yet, you know, do that for you. Gotcha. Um, but again, I think Blizzard knows that. I think that for competitive play um, and in the Overwatch League itself, um, I can't talk too much about it, but I've seen, you know, some of the stuff in the arena. Um, they have access to you know, a lot more than we do. Not a lot more, a, a bit more. Okay. Um, but enough to kind of show that Blizzard does know that stats are very important, um, which is also, you know, why they got Captain Planet, I think uh, his name was, on the on the team for the statistics. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully, you know, all of those tools are going to are gonna progress, are going to develop. I'm pretty sure that they are already in development. Um, and we'll be able to see those, you know, sooner rather than later. I, I hope at least. I don't know anything, but... I would be very happy if if tools like that existed, you know, dedicated match history, stat trackers, all of that stuff. Okay, okay. Now going back to the XL2 box, we're gonna we're gonna lift that out and, and jump back into that. Mm -hmm. So we we know how you approached it. You know, it was a, a former student message or it was friends with the you know the the XL2 brass, and they kind of got you in, and they really liked what you did. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about season two and you know the the rise of of XL two and how dominant you guys were, especially in the final? Um, you know, I, I can't lie, I was a uh, not worried. Um, I wasn't concerned too terribly much, but it was a it was close. You know, me being off in China, uh, you know, learning about Chinese uh, Overwatch. I wasn't specifically invested too heavily in North America. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, seeing you guys paired up against, you know, the top teams, you know, exactly what went into that and, and you know, could you talk a little bit more and, and expand on that? Um, so I think the main challenge has been for me personally that getting a visa, you know, okay. takes time. It's just a lot of paperwork and bureaucracy and it's not really, you know, it doesn't matter how great your organization is in the end you know, they can't just give you a visa immediately, right? Mm -hmm. They need to wait for the government to give you one, um, which means that I never actually got to meet the team in person until the land final. Right. So I had to coach all of this time remotely. Um, despite that, though, um, I was surprised at how similar the workflow in those teams was to the teams that I've been on previously. So some things were different. You know, we had work emails and we used Google Calendar and all of that stuff. Um, that, you know, you would expect from working at a company. Mm -hmm. um, but like the actual workflow itself was very similar. You would show up to scrims, you would talk about stuff in between maps, you would prepare about reviews, you would do one-on-ones. Um, it was a bit more demanding, of course, because, you know, you're working with higher tier players, the competition is a lot uh, rougher as well, which is why during that time I had to put my private coaching business on ice mm -hmm. so I could completely focus on XL2. Um, but it, it was, it was exciting. We put in a lot of, you know, effort. It was a lot of work, of mm -hmm. course, but then again, you know, that's kind of the, the point behind work, you know, <laughs> you need to do work. So, sure. um, but obviously we also had, you know, some fun moments definitely. So, yeah. And, uh, I still remember when we, uh, when we ended up winning against NRG in mm -hmm. the semifinals. That was obviously a very close match. I wasn't super nervous. I'm not the kind of person that gets very nervous sure. um, during matches. Or maybe I, I do get nervous, but I don't show it mm -hmm. as much. Um, but uh, that might just be because I'm German. But the <laughs> rest of the team, you know, I mean, you, you gotta give it to give, gotta give it to Canadians and and American people. You know, they get very excited. What's um, not as excited as French people, sure. but they get. They get damn excited. Um, so when we when we won against NRG, you know the, the screams that that were happening in Discord were were quite severe. Mm. Um, and okay, I'm sorry, I have to do this. Yeah. They reminded me a lot of my WoW days. You know when you when you when you when you finally killed the last raid boss, the boss of the tier. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and I was like, you know, damn. You know, that's 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 pretty nice hearing that again. Um, <laughs> and I feel like that kind of uh, that kind of revealed to me why I found coaching so interesting mm. because the success that you would see at the end after you've put in all of the work, that kind of reminded me of all of the time that I've spent into WoW. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 I'm not the kind of person that needs, you know, consistent, you know, bits of rewards or, or anything. 
I just want to put in a ton of effort. And then at the end, after a month or so, you know, you all, you, you get like one huge reward that you can be sure. very proud of and very happy. And I think esports kind of gives you when you're when you when you make it to the finals for the first time, you know, just the achievement in of itself is 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 quite something, you know, especially in you know in classic WoW, a lot of people didn't you know never never actually killed anything mm-hmm. in, in 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 the last raid like dramas. But just being in that raid, like that wasn't, you know, people were happy about that themselves. Like just being able to say that I was in Next Ramas, you know, I, I didn't actually kill anything or I only <laughs> I killed there. like one or two bosses, but I was there. Exactly. And, you know, th- that's, you know, quite something. And it's kind of the same thing with the land final. You know, we, we got kind of, you know, we got beat quite, you know, quite mm-hmm. uh, convincingly, but I, I don't care. You know, I'm very proud of being, I mean, I do slightly care, but I, it, it's uh, over, it's outweighed mm-hmm. by the, uh, by the pride and the positive emotions of just being at the, at the finals and meeting the team and, you know, seeing those practice rooms for the first time, as minor as that may be, it, mm-hmm. you know, it was very, it's, it's very memorable. Um, so, yeah. And, and I think that's also the kind of mindset that I would look for in other people mm. where, you know, they don't get super destroyed if they, if they, you know, don't get what they want, even if they end up losing, but rather that they just appreciate, you know, the kind of opportunity that, that has been given to you know a lot of the academy players a lot of the owl players you know just appreciating the fact that hey you know we're not really doing as well as we hope we would but we're we're here and we are happy about the fact that we're giving it our all and you know we're happy about the work that we've put in and not necessarily the war the rewards that we get out of it because that's kind of the thing about esports mm-hmm. in the end there can only be one winner um but you know, obviously, esports would be very depressing if everyone except the winner would, you know, wouldn't have anything to be about. Now, talking about that that final, you know, uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. expected you guys, um, and and to be fair, you guys did very you know, well in the regular season. Um, and yeah, you, a little bit of stumbles here with with NRG, and then going into the final against uh, Fusion University. Um, mm-hmm. Talk, could you talk or expand on exactly what? went wrong there i think a lot of people expected you guys to um explode a little bit more and it didn't seem it, did they kind of catch you off guard with the somber doomfisk you know uh you know i don't want to uh, get too specific but you know yeah no there's some doomfist we knew about there's some doomfist like okay for all for for like three weeks at that point <laughs> um so, so i can't talk about everything that went sure. into it but i think the main thing that i can talk about would be just um, if I could go back in time, what we did was, or what I did was, I focused a lot on how to beat Fusion University strategy. Mm. And in retrospect, that was not the correct approach because I would go as far as saying that skill-wise, like if you would, if you would assign each player a number on like their raw skill, and you would add it all up. Our team, you know, obviously our roster was larger, but just averaging it out, sure. like the average skill level of our players was higher than theirs. I'm, I'm, I feel very confident in in saying that. Okay. Um, you know, obviously they they had good players, but overall, um, I think our players we we had more good players, I guess. Um, so what I should have done is instead of focusing so much on disrupting them and countering them, what I should have done is realize we can just do our own thing. You know, why are we reacting to their strategy? We, we should have just found out what our strengths are, mm-hmm. build a strategy around those tr- strengths, and then just use our raw skill and coordination to force them to play on the back, mm-hmm. force them to counter our strategy instead of the other way around. And that's, I, that, I think, is a, is a thought process that I'm going to be using a lot more moving forward, kind of working around the team's strengths instead of investing so much time into countering what the enemy team throws at your feet. So it was kind of a, a struggle between being, um, would you say, proactive and reactive, where you wanted to more react to what they were doing rather than, you know, kind of playing towards your strengths. That's kind of the, yeah, the vibe yeah. I'm getting. Yeah, that's pretty much, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, we had spoken previously in an interview with Esports Heaven, 
and I, I asked, you know, how or if the uh, NYXL coaching staff worked with you guys at all. And mm -hmm. you mentioned that you spoke with Wizard Young, and that's, you know, pretty amazing. Obviously, he's not with them now, and I hope that, you know, he, he does very well where he's at. But one of the coaches that doesn't get a whole lot of credit is uh, Coach Pavane. Uh, could you talk about a little mm -hmm. bit what he does or what he did with your team? You know, um, what were your kind of thoughts speaking to, to Coach Pavane? I respect Pavane a lot because he's not the kind of coach that he does something mm. that I want to do, but that I haven't been able to do yet, you know, so super successfully. Um, he's kind of just the guy that doesn't talk a lot. He just does his work um. and he's really good at it. Um, and, you know, that's he's just, you know, he's he's silent. And, you know, but, but like whenever he says something, you know, that it's very important. And, you know, he just he just he just works, you know, he's. He's just a coach and he's really good at what he does and he, and he grinds super hard, mm. um, which is why a lot of people don't talk about him because he doesn't really put himself out there. He's just in there, he's signed, he does his job. Um, and, you know, that's what you should do, ideally. Whereas Wizard, you know, if you look at the uh, at the finals, you know, there was the little clip where he mm. kind of talked about his money ball stuff and, you know, <laughs> how he wants to revolutionize Overwatch coaching. Sure. Um, he kind of, he was, because of his better English, he was kind of the face of the coaching staff. And that's why a lot of people, you know, knew him a lot more. Um, so what Pavane actually did for us, um, and that kind of makes it a little bit embarrassing, he pretty much told me exactly what I did wrong before I did it wrong. Um, mm. he, was, he was telling us that, you know, these are your team's strengths. You guys need to play around, mm. right? Um... But obviously, in the end, it didn't it didn't work out. But I think that's kind of the main piece of advice that he gave us. Um, he wasn't mainly because of the language barrier. Um, you know, he couldn't always help us. He's very busy. He was, sure. you know, doing a lot of stuff with with Wizard. Um, so he wasn't, you know, like with us full time. But he was just kind of giving us small pieces of advice here and there, kind of trying to steer us in the in the right direction. Okay. Now. Your time with XL2 obviously um, has uh, come to an end, but you've <laughs> uh, obviously kicked back up the personal coaching. And recently on Twitter, you mentioned that you've been um, kind of doing some personal consultation with other teams. Um, one that mm -hmm. really kind of stuck out was a team in South America. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, on the region as a whole. You know, a lot of people um, that I'm uh, pretty close with and broadcast GG are very, very um, fond I would say of the South American region. Um, you know, what mm -hmm. are your thoughts? Is there is there some talent there that could be uh, scouted a little bit more thoroughly? There are like one or two good players in okay. South America. Um, okay, I'm not gonna make a lot of fans or friends with this statement, but in my opinion, not in my opinion, it's just honestly, it's just a fact at this point. South America just doesn't have that many players. Mm. They have a few gems. Um, but those gems mostly come because, you know, they are on the few teams that actually scrim other regions. Most of the other teams in South America only scrim South American teams, and it's very hard to develop as a player if you only scrim teams from your region. One example would be if you look at the LCS and kind of the early days of TSM, sure. a lot of the teams were going, uh, were moving to Korea and scrimming Korean teams in order to prepare for Worlds, right? Mm -hmm. But TSM... For, for, you know, financial reasons, for branding reasons, and, you know, for all of that stuff, they decided to stay in the in the U.S., uh, East Coast, I think, um, and they weren't scrimming Korean. And that was reflected in Worlds. They just didn't really know, you know, what to do. And I think it's kind of the same thing with a lot of South American teams where, you know, if, if since they're in their own little bubble, kind of split off from, from, the, from the other regions, they really struggle growing and kind of learning about the game and benefiting from the shared knowledge of other regions. Mm. Um, and a lot of, early at the start of this, I talked about players being worried about, you know, non-essentials, you know, things like sensitivity and stuff. Sure. Um, and while the players that I've worked with weren't really, okay, some of them were focusing on that, but there were also like very basic things like blaming your teammates, uh, you know, focusing too much on medals, you know, things that you wouldn't really expect from those kinds of players. Mm -hmm. I found those things in, you know, the South American team that I worked with. And that was very surprising because even, you know, 
tier three teams in in an a they're kind of past that phase and they just focus on what's important um but you know the the south american players that i worked with you know they they haven't yet mm. and obviously it was only one team they don't represent the entire sure. region but the team that i've worked with i would say was one of the better teams in you know they were like they weren't one of the bottom teams um so yeah i think that's my those are my overall thoughts right now in the region until okay. the region starts um you know scrimming other regions which again is difficult because of uh, because of the ping right. um and international competition starts showing uh, you know starts rising up so that they have a chance to you know face other teams um i think they're going to struggle for now like okay. the only really good team is brazil gaming house mm -hmm. at the moment um and from what i heard they actually scrim teams in other regions a lot instead of just you know south american teams um and again I, it's very unfortunate a lot of people are going to tell me you know south america is a, is right. a, is, is a, you know has great players and i think it's a great region i think that the fan base is there i think the audience is there mm -hmm. um and you know i really hope that they're going to get their lan and everything in the future um because i think that there is a lot of potential in the region it's just that as of now you know overwatch is still very early you know can't expect a game you know whose esports scene is this young to have all of its regions develop that just doesn't work you know most older esports titles they start you know developing with the national leagues and mm -hmm. until they actually have an international esports scene it takes years you know um so yeah over time they're gonna they're gonna get there but right now it just feels like they have to play catch up a lot of okay. um except of course you know the top team brazil gaming house they're a little bit ahead of the curve now, talking about Brazil Gaming House, um, could you see them making a transition the same way that uh, Blake Esports in Australia did, moving to Pacific? Do you see them possibly getting a, a North American sponsor and coming up and competing in, in NA contenders? Is that something that you you would suggest even, if that's a possibility? If that, if that window opened to them, would you say, hey, maybe pursue that opportunity? Is, do you think that's worthwhile? Teams just wouldn't scrim them. Okay. Teams just wouldn't really. I mean, maybe, but the ping is just too problematic, mm -hmm. to be honest. Like, there are pretty severe ping issues, um, you know, to South American teams. And if you have the choice between scrimming, you know, a North American team, sure. um, ideally on the same side of the country, over a team that's, you know, somewhere in, down in, in South America, mm -hmm. you're going to choose the local team. Because... The, the environment, the practice environment, is going to be a lot more similar to what you'll eventually have to deal with in the tournament and at, 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 at a land state. Um, so right now, um, I mean, of course, for them, that would be a really good move, but I just don't see that other teams are going to... It's going to be a lengthy transition, okay. probably. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, coming back to NA contenders, um, a lot of the thoughts uh, in the community at the moment, you know, uh, the, the, the fires of the Overwatch League are being stoked again. And, you know, we're, we're getting close, you know, months away from, you know, possibly learning a little bit more. We just got the, the kind of uh, season format. And we had some injection of North American franchises, which, you know, have leave a possibility of having more academy teams. And the kind of big topic that everybody is talking about at the moment is, you know, uh, the possible expansion or the, you know, should we or shouldn't we expand contenders um, across the board? So do you think that's a, a good idea? Should we be expanding to fit all of these uh, possible academy teams? Should we do that specifically for NA? Is this a global thing? You know, kind of a break, break it down for me. I think in the long run, um, okay, so for now, they'll have to. I just don't see how they're going to do it without expanding North mm. American contenders. It would just be super awkward if we had a bunch of academy teams that are, you know, in open division. I think that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Mm. Um, I guess, in my opinion, the logical step would be doing what uh, League has done to European game servers, where they've uh, divided uh, it into Europe West mm. and Europe... Okay. Like, I don't know the the other European, you know, <laughs> eastern region. Sure. Um, and I could see something like that potentially happening with NA. So 
we're going to have a, you know, NA Pacific and then, you know, an NA Atlantic contenders mm-hmm. potentially when there are, if there are enough teams. Um, and, you know, maybe merging them at the end, the top teams of each division, pretty much just expanding contenders to be a bigger league. Mm. Um, in, in Because otherwise, I just don't see how academy teams are going to fit. Now, there's just, there's there's only so much space right. for, for academy teams to exist. And already, you know, if all of the expansion teams are going to get, uh, you know, academy teams, mm-hmm. especially considering that the Canadian teams are going to be in the NA contenders, there just isn't enough space. Okay. Um, so, yes, I hope that they're going to expand it. I think that's the most logical step. I, I, I personally cannot think of anything else uh, that they can do besides expanding. Now, you, you kind of touch on a really interesting point that I haven't heard at least brought up uh, yet is the division of, you know, contenders and maybe um separating it and then conjoining it you know at the playoffs or you know maybe a final could be the competition between you know uh west coast and east coast or maybe even you know making canada its own region for instance um Mm -hmm. my biggest concern has been you know the 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 parity of these these competitions because we see time and time again you know do we want to see two low teams, you know, two Shanghai Dragons equivalent teams competing against one another? You know, is that really going to drive viewership? I, I would tend to not think so, but the division seems interesting. Um, you know, if we were to kind of keep it as a, as a whole region, do you think that th- that, that parody question is, is kind of a, a worry for you? One thing I've noticed when I was a part of XL2 okay. was how many people were a fan of me and the team at that point just because we were nyxl's academy team mm. um and i think that what contenders will eventually be is it's gonna be i guess overwatch league junior overwatch sure. League mini um where the the it, it's gonna be like the second uh, the second league pretty much in in traditional sports mm-hmm. and i think that um the viewership would be there just because you know fans of nyxl like the really really hardcore fans they would also want to watch xl2 or fans of uh mayhem of of florida they would want to watch mayhem academy and so on and so on and so i think that's not gonna be an an issue okay um what uh, people in the end want is they want competition with high stakes sure that's what they want to see as of now, the stakes and contenders aren't the largest, um, at least for now. Um, again, as I said, the scene is very early. I mean, you know, technically the Overwatch League is still in in its you know infancy, kind of mm-hmm. compared to other more established leagues. Um, although very ambitious, of course. Um, but once you know, contenders moves up and contenders is going to grow, um, and more academy teams are going to exist. I think the viewer base is you know the viewership is going to come, mm-hmm. and. What I would hope, I guess, um, is uh, what Overwatch is really missing right now. And I guess that's my one wish, my, my Christmas wish, okay. is I, I want international competition. Mm. Because outside of the World Cup, we do not have any real international competition. Unless you count, of course, you know, the, the Philadelphia Fusion playing against, you know, a full Korean team like Spitfire. Sure. So. I don't really count that as international competition because in the end, they're in the same league. Um, So what I would want to see, and they've kind of dabbled in that in contenders before, is I want all of the contenders regions, you know, maybe the top two teams to, you know, play in a separate, you know, uh, contenders worlds Mm. or contenders international showdown or something something like that. Um, Because at, at that point, you would reach a, uh, a separate target audience. So if, let's say, the top two teams in this case in NA were, were XL2 Academy, which has its own fan base, you know, people from New York, people who are, you know, for New York Excelsior, you have Fusion University with people from Philadelphia and Fusion fans. Um, they, they, they have, like, their own fans. Mm-hmm. But once those teams make it into an international tournament where two teams from each region would be in, for example, right, this is hypothetical, um, and let's say one of the teams would drop out of the tournament very early. Let's say Fusion. <laughs> let's say Fusion was like the first team to drop out, right? Sure. So now XL2 is the only remaining 
North American representative in that international tournament. And at that point, it doesn't matter if you're a Mayhem fan or a Fusion fan or a San Francisco fan. At that point, all of those fan bases come together from North America and they would cheer for XL2, right? They don't really care about the team outside of that, but they are the last representative of North America. Right. They are the, the nation's last chance at getting that, you know, that title at mm -hmm. that tournament. Um, and I think that's how you make, like, that's how you can make people, you know, really, really excited because the potential fan base for each individual team, you know, is only limited to its region mostly. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at international competition, then people aren't just going to be rooting for their hometown. They're going to be rooting for their country. Right. And I think that's how you can get people excited about contenders when you add international competition. And I think the proof of this, you know, being the case is the World Cup. Because with the World Cup, players from all sorts of teams are coming together. And even if, you know, with, with Team USA, even if none of your favorite team's players were on Team USA, you know, Americans were still cheering for Team USA, especially with the whole Canada versus USA banter right. that, that was going on. Um, so I, I want them, I want Blizzard to kind of look at the success of the World Cup mm -hmm. and take that incentive of international competition and that excitement into contender. As, you know, since they're already kind of planning that with Overwatch League eventually, once we're going to have franchises uh, localized in mm -hmm. a couple of years now. Now, doubling forward from that, um, mm -hmm. something that is consistently brought up is the idea of region locking. You know, we you know, people feel like they're being ousted from positions, or maybe they're not being scouted as as well as you know uh, potentially other players are. Um, is that something uh, that kind of fits into this grand kind of uh, scheme that you've got uh, in your head, or is that something that? Uh, isn't really uh, a bother at all okay i think that's like a very a very spicy topic sure because both sides of the discussion are valid sure on one hand people want the best of the best to compete mm -hmm. if player a is better than player b he should get the spot on the other hand um you know some some people think that it's very difficult to um you know that a lot of local talent is kind of being overlooked um, potentially due to unjustified biases that, you know, player B is better than player A, but player A comes from a more well-respected region than player B, so he gets the spot anyways. And I think both of those are valid viewpoints. Mm -hmm. And I can, you know, I have personally experienced, you know, biases of that sort. I obviously can't talk about them, but they do sure. exist. Um, so regarding region locking, okay, so I'm just going to, kind of share my opinion and it's very important that everyone that you know ends up watching this understands um you know feel free to disagree like this is a very opinionated discussion <laughs> sure. um and i wouldn't expect everyone to agree i personally would like to see some sort of uh soft lock i guess okay. so not you know a full region lock um but uh you know maybe teams are only allowed to import two or three players right that way they could fill key parts of their roster with international talent. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be a slot on every team for the best of the best. But that way teams are also forced to develop local talent and to scout local talent mm -hmm. in order to fill the remaining slots. So this kind of half-half approach is what I think is the most sensible, especially as the league is going to grow over time. Um, because I do think that it's very unfortunate that a lot of players that are very very good mm. and that i would love to see in higher levels of competition aren't being you know given opportunities unfortunately and we don't know the full picture a lot sure. of organizations have their reasons on why they aren't looking at certain players but they're looking at others um but i think i think league of legends does it this way mm -hmm. actually i'm not sure but i think league of legends has a partial region lock where you can you know bring in international talent but only to a certain degree and the majority of your roster does have to be you know kind of local um and i'm speaking from the perspective of a coach of course of someone that is part of the scene right and you know not someone that's you know a fan that's watching um because i think fans that are watching the majority of fans don't really care 
you know, if the majority of the roster is Korean, they just want their team with their hometown city's name to win in the mm -hmm. end. Obviously, there are some people that would prefer more local talent on their team because it's easier to cheer for them. Sure. Um, and that's also a very valid viewpoint. But like from someone who's in the scene, from a coach that gets to work with a bunch of players and hear their opinions, I feel like adding some sort of soft region lock uh, is something that, you know, I think Blizzard might want to explore, kind of weigh the, the, the pros and cons of it and see if that's something that they can look into in the future. Now, when you talked about uh, League of Legends, and from my understanding, I haven't followed the scene in uh, a couple of years now, but um, last I had heard, yeah, I think it's a, a two-import a two import policy, but they can be mm -hmm. grandfathered in in some cases where they, if, as long as you've lived there for, I want to say it's two years, you become a member of that uh, region, and you don't take up an import slot. Now, I think that's a very sensible approach, in my opinion, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, would you apply that to the Overwatch League, though? Or is that something that you would keep just for contenders? I think it's something that... Um, the reason I wouldn't put that into the Overwatch League as of now is because... Mm -hmm. And it, this is this sounds very wrong, and like kind of the other <laughs> way around. Sure. But contenders, in a sense, is more globalized at, the, at this point than the Overwatch League is. Mm. Right now, the Overwatch League, since the teams aren't localized yet, mm. is very in you know they're all in la pretty much and you know it's it's very american mm -hmm. um whereas with contenders and with the world cup you know we have matches in incheon and paris uh in in los angeles and all over the place and you know recently in melbourne even in, yeah. in australia um so in that sense contenders is more international already um so i would expect to see this uh first come to contenders and if you know, it ends up being successful in contenders. If people are happy, if competition isn't impacted, if fans are happy, um, you know, if everyone ends up being happy, obviously, then they can, you know, say, okay, we've used contenders as the testing grounds for this idea. We think it's successful. And a couple of years down the line, once the Overwatch League itself has, you know, globalized and, you know, we're not just going to see matches in the Blizzard arena in, in Los Angeles. We're also going to see matches in Paris and, Amsterdam or wherever they decide to expand eventually, then I think it is a it is a good idea, but not not right now. For now, it's too um, too localized in America mm -hmm. for it to really really make. Okay. Now we're kind of coming to the end of the interview. We've covered you know mm -hmm. the the golden path of the the division of contenders. You know, uh, potentially. Yeah, I would probably say, you know, Iostux is the LS of the Overwatch community, you know, really kind of given that tough I am very, to I'm very happy about that. <laughs> it's good. You know, we've covered a lot of topics um, and we're, we're starting to wind down um, and, and I don't need specifics, but, you know, uh, let the let the people know out there what's going on with you. Uh, what's what's uh, what's the future looking like for for ye old Iostux? Well, I'm I'm grinding. I'm uh, you know reaching out to teams, doing everything I can. I'm pretty much doing what people expect. Okay. You know, someone who's LFT is doing. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, mm. but I'm going to try my best to make sure that you know I'm gonna I, I'm gonna stay. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try my hardest. That's all I can say at this point. Awesome, awesome. Now I you know. I, I'd like to at least give you this last little bit, um, you know, uh, plug what you got. You know, if there's any anybody out there that you want to give a shout out to, any um, any any links you want to plug, get them in there now. I don't have a t I don't have a huge platform, but you know, I, I try to help it's, out. It, it, it's fine. <laughs> well, for whoever sees this, I think the you know the only people that I can think of right now are you know obviously all of the players that are that were on XL2 when I coached them. I still think that they're all fantastic players, great work ethic, super professional, arguably more professional than I am. Um, but I'm working on it. Um, and you know, if if you have, if you know someone in the league, if you're a manager, a coach, or anything, you know, make sure that you give them a second look. Um, their performance in the finals is not representative of them, mm. you know, as players at all, because arguably our strategic approach wasn't optimal. Um, and uh, yeah, if 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 uh, I don't know how all of the tryouts work, but uh, you know if if there are teams trialing and you're kind of looking at players to scout, I can you know wholeheartedly recommend everyone at Excel too. Yeah, awesome. I mean, uh, 
I I've put the uh, the Twitter little link in the in the the bottom half of the video. But you know, if I'm if I'm a gold player and I want to hit GM, you know, who, who where should I where should I you know uh, type into my search bar to come uh, learn? Um, Any before more? you go to the search bar, okay, make sure that you sit down, um, drink a lot of water. Okay. Make sure that someone is sitting next to you. Uh, then you can go and you can go to my website, iostex.com. Mm. Uh, and click on coaching. Um, then once you see the price and you get your heart attack and the guy next to you has called an ambulance and you've kind of recovered after a couple of months, <laughs> you can consider getting a set. All yes. right. And that kind of wraps up episode two. Um, you know, it's been a treat sitting talking with you and i you know as long as you'd be up for it you know i think we could probably dive into a, a few other topics you know maybe maybe further some of those wow analogies maybe get a little bit more in depth than always <laughs> i am i am always down and once once classic releases i hope that we are gonna get a nice overwatch competitive uh, community there it's gonna be great <laughs> awesome so for episode two and and iosex we are signing off thanks for watching guys and uh remember to you know like and subscribe and all that good stuff so we'll, we'll see you in the next one